We're going to be in Acts chapter 1 today. We're going to talk about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Caveat up front, the fine print warning. There's no way in one sitting that I'm going to tell you all there is to know about God's Holy Spirit. And so, um, so just know that. Uh, I'll, I'll be giving you a, a facet of teaching of what is a multifaceted subject. So the Holy Spirit. With that in mind, as some of you are still making your way to Acts chapter 1, maybe you've heard the story. <clears throat> Guys flying a 747 from uh, Honolulu to L.A., and, uh, and they're, they're en route, they're on their way, <clears throat> pilot comes over the radio, says, hey, uh, it's your pilot speaking, you, you may have noticed there's kind of a change in the pitch of the engines, and, uh, and if, you, if you noticed that, you'd be right, there, there has been, we, we actually lost one of our engines, had to shut it down, uh, he said, don't be alarmed, this aircraft has four engines, and it can easily fly on three, and, uh, and so it's just an inconvenience, really, because it's going to slow us down about 15 minutes, but... Uh, anyway, there you are, and, and, uh, and we're on our way. And so they continued. Well, a little while later, he came back on the radio, or back on the intercom, and he said, um, well, um, I'm, I'm sorry to inform you, we've actually had to shut down a second engine. Um, now, again, this aircraft has four engines. We could fly on one engine if we had to, so, so don't worry about it. Um, it, it, it. It's just an inconvenience factor. We're going to be we're going to be about a half hour late now into to L.A., maybe as much as 45 minutes late, depending on the winds, but, <clears throat> you know, there, there you go. So a little while later, and people get nervous, as you might imagine, when he comes back on, he says, well, we've had to shut down a third engine. And, uh, and, and he says, you know, it, it, I, I told you before, this, this aircraft can fly on one engine, so uh, we're going to be maybe about an hour and a half late into LAX. And finally, this guy turns to his seatmate. He's like, man, I hope we don't lose that fourth engine. We're going to be up here all night. <laughs> yeah, that's a bad joke. But, but here's the deal. Actually, truth be told, commercial airlines do have what's known as a glide ratio. Uh, at the glide ratio of an average commercial airline, somewhere between 15 to 1 and 20 to 1, you know, they move forward 20 feet for every foot they lose in altitude, um, which means that although a fully laden 747 weighs as much as 900,000 pounds, just imagine that, 900,000 pounds, and you can go 40,000 feet in the air and so on. At, at a 747 at 900,000 pounds can glide over 100 miles with no engines at all. It, it, that's just crazy to think about, right? Well, some churches, they have a glide ratio as well. You see, the church exists as a result of God working through his Holy Spirit. He poured his Holy Spirit out on the day of Pentecost. The church was born, and since that day, the Holy Spirit has been working through the church, but without the power of the Holy Spirit, the church operates in glide mode. Yes, it continues to move forward, but it's losing altitude moment by moment. Uh, Chuck Smith said this about the Holy Spirit. He said, without the Holy Spirit in its midst, the church is just a social club or a service organization. But when the Spirit is given his proper place, the body of Christ becomes a dynamic force of change in a sick and dying world. 
you're just joining us, we're in the third week of a series entitled Reliance Values, and we're looking at eight values that shape and inform everything that we do uh, as a church. And uh, we've covered so far the Word of God as our primary value, and we've discovered prayer as one of our top eight values. Um, If you've missed those messages, I would encourage you to listen uh, to the messages online. Today we're focusing on our next value, the engine of the church. At Reliance Church, we value the leading of the Holy Spirit. We change the world one life at a time through the power of the Holy Spirit who flows through men, not methods. Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, we read, The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. This is a guy named Luke who's writing the book of Acts, Dr. Luke, a medical doctor by profession. Um, and, uh, and he is referring here, he's writing to a guy named Theophilus. Theophilus means lover of God, uh, probably a person by the name of Theophilus whose name just happens to mean lover of God, and we can uh, therefore take this letter to that individual, and all of us can say this is a letter to us. We are lovers of God, and he says, he refer- references a former account, and he's talking about the Gospel of Luke, which by the way, we're going to begin in, August, or in December, um, that's the next book we're going to be going through as a church. And so, so he talks about this former work that he had written, the Gospel of Luke. Um, and uh, he says, uh, un- um, I told you there in the Gospel of Luke, basically, is what he's saying about all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. That's important. We'll come back to that until verse 2, the day in which he was taken up after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, uh, to whom he also predestined him, uh, uh, himself alive, uh, I'm sorry, he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And, verse 4, being assembled together with them, he, Jesus, commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, verse 6, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time... Restore the kingdom to Israel. And he said to them, It's not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So as I told you, it's written by Luke here, and he makes reference to the Gospel of Luke, and he says there in the Gospel of Luke, uh, Jesus Christ began. I told you there, he says about all that Jesus Christ began, both to do and to teach. Very significant word, the word began, because it carries an implication. And that implication is that Jesus' work did not finish with the end of the Gospels, with with his death, burial, and resurrection. That was not the end of Jesus' work. That was the work that Jesus began. But the, the implication here is that his work now continues. And his work continues through us. Uh, it continues with us filled with the Holy Spirit. And Jesus tells his disciples, or Luke rather, tells us here that Jesus told his disciples 
that he gave to them many commandments. Uh, And uh, one of the commandments that Jesus gave was recorded in Matthew's gospel, in Matthew 28. There Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Disciples, the literal translation of that word is one who is taught or instructed. And this is how we continue Jesus' work. First of all, we ourselves are taught and instructed. We, are never, we never arrive as Christians. It's not like you get to the place to where you graduate and you say, I've got the diploma and I've arrived. No, you continually are in a state of being taught and being instructed. The, the Lord says in, in the book of Philippians, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to, the, to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. And so the Lord has begun a good work in you. He's going to continue. He's, he's, he's finished his work of salvation. But, but there is an ongoing work of spiritual formation in your life and in my life that's going to be ongoing for the rest of our lives. We are disciples, and that means that we are being taught. We are being instructed. We are learners. It's just like a leader in any industry. Leaders are learners. Good leaders are. And so this is the idea. And then having then been committed to a lifelong process of being taught and instructed as a disciple of Christ, well, I also am instructed to make disciples, not just of myself, but in those that I come in contact with. And so we make disciples by teaching other people, teaching our kids and so on about Jesus Christ, witnessing to our neighbors, witnessing to our co-workers, letting our light shine before men that they might see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven, and just obediently being the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. This is how we fulfill the commands that God has given to us that Luke touches on here. But in order, listen, for that to affect effectively, in order for us to carry that out effectively, we have to be receivers of and filled with and baptized in the Holy Spirit, which is why we read in verses 4 and 5 that Jesus commanded them not to part from Jerusalem but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you've heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now, this is phenomenally amazing when you stop and you consider who it was that Jesus was telling to wait for this. It was the disciples that Jesus had personally instructed. That's the phenomenal part here. Basically what Jesus is telling them as he's now leaving the scene and he's passing the baton to the disciples, <coughs> being told through Luke that, hey, what Jesus began, you are now going to continue. But he says, you're not ready. You have to wait. I would argue to you that these disciples were better equipped than anybody who has ever followed after them in their footsteps. Why? Because they spent three and a half years, day in and day out, with Jesus Christ in the flesh. Like, how would you like to be a graduate of the one and only class of Emmanuel University? You know, why should I hire you to, uh, to, this, uh, to this position, to this church there? Pastor Ted, you want to be the senior pastor? Why, why should we hire you? Graduated at Emmanuel University. One of only 11 students to graduate from that uh, University, Jesus, my instructor, oh, you're hired. I don't have any other questions for you. You're hired, right? 
Jesus says, no, you're not hired. You've got to wait. You've got to wait for the gift my Father promised you. See, the Bible says that man's wisdom is foolishness to God. And, and we see a little bit of the foolishness of men's wisdom just revealed there in verse 6. Because it says, therefore, in, in verse 6, when they had come together, they asked him, Jesus, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? This was always the question on their mind. Hey, what's going to go down here? See, because you've got to understand that being Jewish, the disciples, they had distinct nationalistic loyalties and fairly distinctive religious ideologies. And so their expectation was, as they looked for their coming Messiah, that Messiah was going to come and rescue them from their current circumstance, which was what? Well, they're occupied by Rome right now. And they are, they are not free to be under uh, theocratic rule, the Lord's rule, as, as, as they would want, as the Lord would want. No, they're here bound and conquered and so on. So every Jew of this day thought, well, what's going to go down is that the Messiah is going to come and away goes Rome and we set up the kingdom and, and, and here we go. You, you think about the, 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 the encounter that Jesus had with Peter. And, uh, you know, there they are one day, and, and Peter, you know, is asked the question, as well as the rest of the disciples, by the Lord. He says, who do men say that I am? And, and they're like, oh, you know, some say you're Elijah, some say you're one of the prophets, whatever. And he says, yeah, but who do you say that I am? He says, well, you're the Christ, you're the son of the living God. And Jesus commends him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but my Father in, in heaven has revealed this to you, and, 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 all, and Jesus just encouraging him and so on. And right on the heels of this, what do we have? We have a picture where Jesus begins to transition from that, starts talking to them about the suffering that he's going to experience and how he's going to die on the cross and so on, and Peter takes him aside and begins to rebuke him. Why? Because it's not according to the nationalistic thought process and all of this stuff. And they is, you know, expecting what would happen when the Messiah comes down. They don't think it's going to be that way at all. So Peter says, well, Jesus, hey, this is not the plan. You're the Messiah, man. Look at your driver's license. For crying out loud, you're supposed to come and we're supposed to kick out Rome out. And, and we're, you're supposed to rule and reign, and, and you've said that we're going to rule and reign with you, so I've got my office picked out, I've got my office furniture picked out, they're putting in the carpeting here soon, I'm, I'm interviewing staff and the whole bit, and you're, you're, you're messing up the program, and Jesus says, oh, I'm sorry, of course, yes, that's what we'll do. No, he says, get behind me, Satan. Because you're not mindful of the things of God, you're mindful of the things of men. So when they ask this question in verse 6, this is still, Lord, are you, now? Is now when you're setting up your corner office? Can I, can I start interviewing staff again? Because I put all that on hold when you said, get behind me, Satan, but is it time now? The Lord says in verse 7, it's not for you to know times or seasons, which the Father has put in his own authority, but you'll receive power. Here's what you do need to know. You'll get the power of the Holy Spirit, the spirit of power that, that, that God's promised It's going to come upon you, and then you're going to be witnesses of me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. See, what we know from the benefit of hindsight and what the disciples would know after the Holy Spirit was poured out and they would begin to see God's will and his work and his plan, well, we know <clears throat> that God had no plan to overthrow Rome. 
Uh, he had no plan to set up his kingdom at that time on earth as they expected him to. No, God's kingdom was going to be established through disciples going out and being witnesses of him, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And what would blow their minds is that they would see that God, his plan was not just for the Jews, his plan was for everybody on the face of the earth. That God so loved the world that he gave Jesus Christ, his son, to die for the sins of the world. And they would come to know that he wanted to save the Gentile, everybody as much as he wanted to save, save the Jews. And none of that at all was in their internal compass, and that's the key. Their internal compass was entirely at the place. All of their instincts are at the place where, hey, Lord, are you going to restore your kingdom to Israel? And God's like, no. You need, you need the Holy Spirit because your compass is off. So, so just wait for the Holy Spirit. In the same way, you and I, our internal compass is off. We need to wait for the Holy Spirit to speak to us, to direct us, to guide us, to lead us into all truth. And so Jesus says, man, you do that. Now, brings us to a question. What is the Holy Spirit? Well, for starters, the Holy Spirit is a who, not a what. A lot of times we talk about it. The Holy Spirit, it will empower you. No, it's a who, not a what. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead. Doctrinally, we call this the Trinity, One God eternally existing in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And we see this truth reflected in one of the most common names for God used in the Old Testament, the word Elohim. The word Elohim, the name, is is grammatically plural. It's not written in the singular. Elohim is in, in itself a plural name. Uh, It appears, by the way, throughout the the Old Testament, the very first appearance of this name Elohim, Genesis 1-1, where we read, in the beginning, God, Elohim, created the heavens and the earth. Which, which, by the way, answers and explains, you know, who was it that, that, that God was talking to in Genesis 1-26 when he said, let us make man in our own image. It's a, combina- it's a conversation that's happening with the three persons of the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Let us make man in our own image. And so the Holy Spirit's the third member of the Trinity, which makes him God. Now, why do I emphasize that? Well, again, when Jesus was preparing his disciples for his departure, they had a tendency to freak out. And, and, and so... In, in one exchange, as he's telling them, look, I'm, I'm going to go. I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to be out of here. And this is the same exchange where he says, where I go, you know, and the way you know. And doubting Thomas is like, Lord, we don't know where you're going and how can we know the way and all that stuff. Just totally freaking out. Well, Jesus promised them there that he was going to send to them another advocate. Here's what he said, John 14, verses 16 and 17. He said, I'll ask the Father. He will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him, but you know him because he lives with you now and will later be in you. So he says, I'm going to send you another advocate. Some of your translations say another helper. That word another, first of all, it means literally another of the same kind. In other words, Jesus is saying, I'm going to send to you someone who is God, just as I am God. And and he says it's another advocate. That word advocate literally means helper, comforter, encourager, counselor. 
In other words, listen, what Jesus promised is that God himself, hear me, this, this is mind-blowing. God himself will be in us and with us. And his presence with us, in us, is to help us, to comfort us, to encourage us, to counsel us, to lead us into all truth. Paul said this to the Romans in Romans 8.26. He said, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. Last week I told you about Alex, my, my secretary Shirley's boy, and he asked you to pray for him, and he remains very much in critical condition in the ICU. And we got, a, we got an urgent text this morning just saying, please pray, and, and Shirley just, you know, overwhelmed. She said, I can't even think right now, please just send me scripture. And so I watched as there's just the one by one, the pastor sending her scriptures, and I sent her a few, and this among them was this verse in Romans 8, 26. The Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. Listen, you need to hear that. That this amazing thing that God says, I'm going to give you another helper. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. God himself is going to be with you. He's going to be in you. And when you're overwhelmed and to the place where you can't even think and you just groan, that the Holy Spirit within you will take that groaning of your heart and bring it as a prayer before God himself, for God the Father, his throne. Did you have, you have God with you? This is the role of the Holy Spirit, so critically vital. And Jesus said, not only will the Holy Spirit do that, but the Holy Spirit will bring conviction of what's right and what's wrong. Jesus said in John 16, 8, when he, speaking of the Holy Spirit, comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. Now listen, what's the primary way that he does this? He does it in you and he does it through you. He does this in you and he does it through you, which is why Jesus tells his disciples here in Acts uh, chapter 1, verse 4, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the Holy Spirit. You see, because without the Holy Spirit, what happens is in our hearts, we're all, oh, well, God, is it time for you to do this? God, circumstantially, my heart, you know, all of my life experience, my nationalistic loyalties, whatever, it just seems like this is the right thing for you to do. You're going to do that, God? And, and our flesh will take us in directions that are completely contrary to what the Holy Spirit wants to do. But when we're baptized in the Holy Spirit, we're not working from our own instincts. We are working as God directs. So critically important that we do that. And so Jesus directs his disciples to wait in Jerusalem for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now what is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Well, listen, all four Gospels, as well as Acts chapter 16, give us recorded instances of John the Baptist prophesying about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Simply put, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is an endowment of power. That's what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is. It's an endowment of power. The idea being this, that when you're baptized, you know, the idea of baptism, by the way, think about it. What, you, what happens when you're baptized? You're immersed. You're covered up in the water. 
And, and so th- this idea of, you know, when John the baptized went out, when, what, when he baptized people, what did he do? He immersed them, he covered them up in water. And the idea of baptism of the Holy Spirit that he prophesied about, that Jesus talked about, that, that you know, is promised here, it's so that these disciples would be immersed in the Holy Spirit. And let me tell you this, it's critically important that we understand what being depicted here is a distinctly separate event from the initial receiving of the Holy Spirit. If you read in John's gospel, in John chapter 20, verse 22, it's there when Jesus Christ first imparted his Holy Spirit to the disciples after his resurrection. He breathed on them and told them to receive his Holy Spirit. And this that we read about here, the promise of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, promised in Acts chapter 1, delivered in Acts chapter 2, this is after Jesus had already breathed on them to receive the Holy Spirit. And so we see that it's a distinctly separate thing that the Bible is talking about. And so it was at the point in John chapter 20, verse 22, when Jesus breathed on them to receive the Holy Spirit, that's when they received the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. But now here later in Acts chapter 1 and what will be delivered in Acts chapter 2 is when Jesus baptizes them with the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's what that means for for you today. What that means for you is that our initial receiving of the Holy Spirit, this is God's work of regeneration in us. This is where the disposition of our hearts is changed and where we are made alive spiritually, where we are born again. When you cry out to God and you confess that you're a sinner in need of a Savior, and you believe that Jesus Christ is the Savior and you invite Him to be Savior and Lord, then what happens in in that moment is you receive the Holy Spirit. You're regenerated. But listen, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, this is God's work of redemption through us, okay? Not God's work of redemption in us, but it's now God's work of redemption through us, where God now endows us with power necessary to carry out specific works. Now, we see in the Old Testament, we see examples of this gifting of the Holy Spirit as it's limited to certain individuals. We see God, you know, pouring out his power upon priests or upon prophets or upon, you know, different mediators like Moses. But the point of the New Testament is that the whole body of Christ can now be equipped and empowered by the Holy Spirit to glorify and serve the Lord. And so, how do we receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? That's the question, and I'll tell you how you receive it. You pray for it. You pray for it. Last week, you recall, we were talking about prayer as one of these distinct values that we hold to, and we were looking, as we examined this notion of prayer, we we were looking at a, a, a parable that Jesus told, earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And the parable was reinforcing the lesson of the needfulness to be persistent in prayer. And as Jesus is telling that story, here's how he concludes it in Luke chapter 11, verse 13. He says, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And so we just simply need to ask him for the baptism of the spirit. Now I'm going to give you an opportunity today before we finish the message to pray and to ask God for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And we've got several boxes of snakes all prepared and the whole bit, we're just gonna bring them out here. No, we're not gonna do that, that's not biblical. But imagine, 
That's what people think about, right? When we talk about baptism of the Spirit, people get all weird out. It's like all voodoo stuff. No, 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 it's biblical stuff. Jesus said to his disciples, look, I want to do something amazing through you guys because I have a work that needs to continue on the world, on the, earth, on the earth's surface, and I want to do it through my disciples, and you need the baptism of the Spirit for that. Well, listen, we're part of the church that Jesus birthed by his Holy Spirit, and listen, you need the power of the Holy Spirit in your life to glorify and honor God and to be his hands and feet here on the earth. Some of you today, you're struggling with different things in your life. And just, just, just different ways that you go, man, this thing's got a hold of me and I can't really bring glory and honor to God because of, because of this stuff that I just don't seem to be able to get victory in. Pray and ask the Lord to baptize you in his Holy Spirit. Pray and ask the Lord to empower you to live out this Christian faith. And so Jesus tells the disciples, look, you gotta wait. Which they do... Technically, turn to verse 15, chapter 1. We read here, and in those days, Peter stood up. What, what are those days? They're the days of waiting for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Those days are the days of waiting that Jesus said, don't leave Jerusalem, you wait to be baptized in my Holy Spirit. You wait for the empowering of the Holy Spirit. And so it was in those days, the days of waiting, which by the way, Peter did not wait well. He was not a guy who sat around. Peter had, you know, perpetual foot and mouth disease. He had, you know, perpetual, oh, I blew it, kind of, I just jumped out when I, you know, always, this is Peter. Um, I totally can't relate to him. I have no idea about that. Um, but in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples, all together, a number of the names. It was about 120, so there's about 120 disciples here, um, and, you know, waiting on the, the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so Peter says, men and brethren, this scripture had to be filled. Now, I'm going to paraphrase here for the sake of time. Basically, what Peter does at this point is he says, we have to replace Judas, now, he could say, technically, you know what, we're, I'm, I'm, I'm waiting, we're not going out to do anything, we're just taking care of some housekeeping around here, gosh, if we're, we got to get mobilized, we're going to go out and witness, and we're going to go out and change the world and, and, and all, we, 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 we got 11, who's missing, Judas, you know, he sinned against the Lord, he went out and hung himself and, and all, and, and he takes a couple of you know, scriptures from the Psalms and says, you know, uh, he, he got rejected, and now he needs to get replaced. So they, they come up with this idea, and there they are, and they're talking about, we need to, to replace him. Um, and so he says, what's the criteria? Well, we got to get people that have always been with us from the very beginning, so let's, let's select from that. Um, and, uh, and you get to verse 23, and it says there, they proposed two people. Joseph, called Barsabbas, who was surnamed Justice, and a dude by the name of Matthias. And then they go and, and they prayed, verse 24, Oh, Lord, you know the hearts of all men. Show which of these two that you have chosen to take part in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. And they cast lots. Let's roll the dice. See who wins. And the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. Now, all kinds of problems here with this. First and only time in the New Testament that we see him casting lots to figure out what God's will is. And, and then they, they pick a dude, 
and, and if I hadn't read this to you and I were to ask you, hey, who did the disciples pick to replace Judas? Chances are most of y'all wouldn't know. Why? Because we never hear from them again. Let's pick up who's going to be this 12th apostle, and this is the one and only time their name shows up. Now, who did the Lord pick to replace Judas? Paul, right? And what was Paul, what, was, what name was he going by during this time? And what was Saul doing? He's killing Christians at this time. So, so what if Peter is there? What if I happen to be there in the room? And Peter says, hey, you know what? We got two nominated here. Lord, which one of these two? Which, by the way, that's just a picture of us. God, I got a problem. And these are the two possible solutions. Which one do you want me to go with? <laughs> God's like, well, actually, you know, the, what I want you to do is not even part of your equation, you know? It's not door number one, door number two. It's door number Z, which you haven't even thought about right now. So Peter's going, hey, which one of these two? And what if I'm there? I go, hey, Pete, what about Saul of Tarsius? They're like, are you high? What have you been smoking, man? That guy's killing Christians. Are we going to pick him to be? Well, he was God's choice. See, Peter, he's, he's outside of God's timing, outside of God's will. What's he doing? Well, I submit to you, he's operating in the power of the flesh. During what days? During the days of waiting for the power that God promised to him. Now, notice the difference. Go to chapter 2. Chapter 2 picks up with, on the day of Pentecost, when God pours out his Holy Spirit. It says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came, from, uh, came a sound from heaven, as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting, and there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak with other tongues, the literal word there is dialects, as the Spirit gave them utterance. Here's the significance of that. They all go outside, and they're all speaking in these different dialects that the Lord has given to them. Well, coincidentally, it is the celebration of Pentecost. There's lots of people that are in Jerusalem at that time for the, the celebration of Pentecost. And what God does is He supernaturally pours His Holy Spirit out on these disciples. Now they are baptized in the Spirit, and they are empowered by the Spirit to uniquely go and speak a language that they don't naturally possess. But God gives them the ability to do this. And as they're out there, what are they doing? They're proclaiming the goodness of God. They're preaching the gospel in the language and the tongues of the different people that are gathered together in Jerusalem at that time, and they all hear it in their native tongue, and they go, mind blown, this is amazing. We hear these guys proclaiming the wonderful works of God, and how possibly can they do it? These are just Galilean fishermen and whatever. You know, guys from Galilee, they're just unlearned people. How on earth are they speaking my language, but I'm hearing what they're saying? And you skip down to verse 40, Peter being the chief spokesman of the group, and it says there, and with many other words he testified and exhorted them, Acts chapter 2, verse 40, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. And then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Major difference between a work of the flesh where you never hear from them again and in fact, some other dude who is currently killing Christians ends up being the replacement and writing two-thirds of the New Testament. And the work of the Holy Spirit where 3,000 people get saved. It's dramatically different. It's overwhelming because it's not only God-directed, it's God-empowered. Jesus promised you will receive power 
when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That word power that Jesus promised, we get the word dynamite from that. This is the same power that Jesus was risen from the grave by this power. That's the power of the Holy Spirit who lives in you if you confess faith in Christ Jesus and will come upon you in in the baptizing power of the Spirit if you just pray and ask God for that power. He will give you that, that, that level of power. I had a situation years ago I was in counseling and I've got, this, I, I've got this guy, you know, sitting in front of me, and I've got, you know, his wife, and, and God just supernaturally speaks to me, tells me that he's committed adultery. None of this is coming out. I have no way, earthly way of knowing this. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. And, I, and, and the Lord t- says, call him on it. I'm like, gosh, what, am, what if I'm wrong? God's like, you, you, I, I just told you that this is what's going on, so, so speak it out. So I speak it out. The guy just, and his next, you know, I'm thinking, are you going to punch me out? Am I, you know? He's big guys between me and the door, you know, kind of thing. He says, how did you know? I said, I didn't. Now we all do, thanks to the Holy Spirit, you know. God doing a healing work in his marriage, dramatic. But that's the power that we're talking about. It's God-directed, God-empowered. The Bible tells us that the role of the Holy Spirit, listen, it's vital for our salvation and for our spiritual formation. And once we receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit comes and takes residence within us. Paul said this to the Corinthians. He says, you do, not know, uh, do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Holy Spirit dwells in you? Tells us there the Holy Spirit then regenerates us. The Holy Spirit indwells us. The Holy Spirit seals us for the day of, of, of our redemption. The Holy Spirit guides us. The Holy Spirit teaches us. The Holy Spirit helps us to pray. The Holy Spirit empowers us. The Holy Spirit, listen, enables our lives to produce fruit, meaningful fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are the fruits of, of, of a life that is filled with the Holy Spirit, the fruit that will emanate from your life. It will be produced by the tree of your life. The Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. The Holy Spirit restrains the sweeping spread of evil. We just taught through the book of Revelation and we see what happens to a world where God's church is taken out, where the influencing presence of his Holy Spirit is taken out. And the Spirit speaks to the heart of unbelievers, shows them their need for Jesus. You've got a neighbor, you've got a friend, you've got a coworker. you think that this person needs Jesus in the worst way, but you're afraid to open your mouth. You're like, I, I'll be ridiculed, uh, I don't know that anything I say will help, whatever. Maybe the Lord just speaks to your heart and just says, you know what, it's my job to do that. I told first services, every time that I, that I give an invitation, I never am worried about whether or not somebody raises their hand to receive Christ or not. I don't care what people think about me. I don't care if, if nobody raises their hands. Listen, because the work of conversion of a soul is the work of God's. It's not my work. It's not like I'm trying to close some sales deal and God help me if I am. I just present the word and I give an invitation and whatever happens is a work of God's Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. And I don't know where they're at in the process. I don't know if one plant, another waters, but it's God who gives the increase and maybe my job that day is to plant. Maybe my job that day is to water. Maybe somewhere down the road, somebody else is gonna be preaching a message and then God's gonna give the increase. 
I remember a story, a gal was, you know, a guy was in his, he's preaching, he's this new young pastor, he's preaching the gospel, and there's a dude in his town that always comes to church, but he's notoriously wicked, he's the worst guy in town, everybody can't stand this guy, but he comes to church, unsaved heathen, with his wife all the time, and this guy, brand new preacher, brand new in the pulpit, gives the gospel, gives the invitation, that guy comes forward to receive Christ, and he's all puffed up with pride, and he goes up to him, and he says, what did I say today that, that really ministered to your heart? And he said, that guy looked at me and said, I've been married to my wife for 30 years, and for 30 years, she's been leading me to Christ. Frankly, I just couldn't wait for you to shut up so I could respond. <laughs> it was 30 years of faithfulness on his wife's part that brought, that brought him to the Lord. But listen, even that, it's a work of the Holy Spirit. It's the work of the Holy Spirit, and God's going to do that work. And so we, we, need to, we need to be trust God for the work that he wants to do in us. We want to trust God for the work that he wants to do through us. But now listen, coming full circle, let me remind you, some Christians are on a glide slope. They're, they're, they're dealing with the dynamics of that glide ratio in their life where they effectively have lost all their engines, man. And now any sort of movement forward is accompanied by a corresponding drop in altitude. Why? Because you're just, your car has run out of gas, spiritually speaking, metaphorically speaking. And sometimes, man, we just don't know. Chuck Smith once asked the question, he says, I wonder how long, if the Lord took the Spirit out of the church, it would take for some churches to notice. Some of you are on a glide ratio right now. You're operating on a glide slope in your marriage. You're operating on a glide slope in your parenting or on a glide slope with your prayer life or in your devotional life or just in your day-to-day operations of how you live your life. There's, there's really no influencing power of the Spirit. It's just, it's just a glide slope constantly going down. Paul warned the Ephesians, and I close on this point. He said this. He said, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, he said, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Listen, what Paul says is this. Look, we live in an evil world, and it's filled with temptations. And Paul says, look, you got to have your head on a swivel to live in this world. He says, you, you got to redeem the time, which, which, you know, you've got time, this thing that's very valuable, and he says you have to redeem it, and the idea is, is that time is only valuable to the degree that you redeem it. When I was a kid, we had all these Coke bottles on the side of the house, and they represented candy to me because I would take them to the store and redeem them and get money for those Coke bottles, and then I could buy candy. And so it was only valuable if I redeemed it, and Paul's saying, look, you have to redeem the time. And, and, and some of y'all, you know, you're just not redeeming the time. And, and all the while, you're on this glide slope, and that plane's about ready to crash into the ground. You need the Holy Spirit. And so he makes this curious correlation in verse 18. He says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, Serious question, how do you get drunk? You drink, right? How do you stay drunk? You keep drinking, right? Now, drunkenness is sin. 
That's not the question here, but he's giving an, an analogy. He says, don't be drunk where you drink and you keep drinking. He says, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the way that that's written, be filled, it's in the continual imperative sense. It could, literally, the better translation is be being filled. In other words, if I can use if Paul's illustration here, you want to get drunk, you drink, and you keep drinking. Well, if you want to be filled with the Spirit, you drink and you keep drinking of the Holy Spirit. That's the point. That's the idea. How? We ask, man. We ask for God to fill us with His Spirit. And when God fills us with His Spirit, then what happens is we become distributors. When I was a kid, my dad was in the off-road industry. It was back in the early 70s when the thing was just getting off the ground. And, and all these guys sending my dad all these different pro, you know, products and stuff to, to push. And one of the new products on the market at that point was a product called Armorall, which was brand new at the time. My dad had gallons of this stuff in his office. And he had all these cool things. And they had this, this cool patch and, and this board that had all this stuff on it. And I saw this and I'm like, Man, and it's all just sitting around. I could go sell all this stuff and make all kinds of money. And I was like that as a kid, man. I was always looking to sell stuff. We just got, my, my daughter just got notified by our children's ministry um, that uh, her son Holland, my grandson, got in trouble recently because he was coming into children's ministry with stuff that he'd made and he was trying to sell it to everybody. <laughs> I'm like, man, that, that apple didn't fall far from his grandpa's tree. So I was always out, and I, and I saw this stuff, and I go, wow, Dad, can I, can I what, what do I need to do? Can I, can I have this stuff? Can I go sell this stuff? And my dad says, sure, I'll make you a distributor. And I'm like, great. What, what do you need to do to make me a distributor? He said, nothing. I just did. You asked. You're a distributor. Now, I don't know. I, I mean, I wanted a certificate or a card I could, you know, put. I'm a distributor. My dad said, look. You're a distributor. I just made you one. See, what the Lord is saying is just wait on God. Ask for the filling of the Holy Spirit. He will make you a distributor of God's power. And what that means, and, 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 and this is what he goes on to say, by the way, when, when Paul says, hey, you know, don't be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Listen to the very next couple of verses. He says, speaking, he's talking about what happens when you're a distributor of God's Spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another in the fear of of God. In other words, when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, when we become distributors of God's power, here's the fruit we can expect to bear. We will minister truth to one another in word and song. We will live lives of worship that are in harmony with God and with others. And when you're filled with the Spirit, baptized in the Spirit of God, you'll live a thankful life. You won't be disgruntled or entitled in the way that you live your life. When you're filled with the Spirit and baptized in the Spirit of God, you're going to be submitting to God and to one another in the fear of God. You're going to be transformed. So here at Reliance Church, listen, this is one of our values. We hold strongly to this value because anything that we do that doesn't have the power of the Holy Spirit as an integral part of that, that God leads us and guides us, here's what we know. We will make decisions that seem right to us, but that are not what God wants to do. 
Here's what we know, that we as a church, the moment that we start relying on our plans and our programs and leave God out of the equation, that we are on a glide slope that are just heading for crash. And the same is true in your life. We want you to know God intimately, personally. Maybe today you need to invite him to be your Lord and Savior. Maybe today the power of transformation in your life that needs to take place is that you confess Jesus as Lord and Savior so that he can save you from darkness to light, from death to life. So you can have the hope of eternal life and be set free. Maybe today that's where you need to start. But for many of you today where you need to start is you need to pray and you need to ask to be baptized in God's Holy Spirit.